Welcome, everybody, to the Metabulous 2 podcast, episode number 69. I'm David. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're going to be talking about Doctor Who collecting. And to start us off, to kind of set the tone of the uh, podcast, I'm going to read something that Neil Perryman of the Wife in Space fame uh, wrote in the introduction to his first collected volume of the Wife in Space, The Miserable Git. (laughs) This is from his introduction. Thank you for buying this book, especially if you're afflicted by the collector gene and therefore committed to purchasing the next five volumes in order to complete the set. I just hope the 500-pound price tag for the final volume will be tempered by the aesthetically pleasing way the series will eventually line up on your bookshelf, or if you're reading this electronically, in a folder on your desktop. (laughs) (laughs) I I I know what he means. I know what he means. Doctor Who collectors, the collector gene, the completionist gene, Mm. afflicts uh, many of us, at least of our generation, in Doctor Who fandom. Certainly does. (laughs) And uh, I think probably a good, uh, I guess the gateway drug of collecting, um, my guess would be the Target novels. The Target novels, indeed. And I'm I'm a member of various, I mean, people, do people still members of groups on Facebook. Anyway, I'm a member of various <laughs> groups on Facebook, one of which is the Target Collectors group. Um, mm. And it's interesting to me, and this is why I was thinking about collecting, because it is, it's a lot of people posting a lot of stuff about <laughs> collecting Target books. Um, uh, there just, was just a post just, I think, yesterday or maybe the day before, where someone had literally just finished collecting all the Doctor Who books. So not just all of the Target novelizations, but all of the Virgin New Adventures <laughs> and all of the Virgin Missing Adventures mm-hmm. and all of the BBC Past Doctor Adventures okay. and all of the BBC Eighth Doctor Adventures. So, <laughs> um, so I have a big part of Ninth Doctor Adventures. Right. And then had put them all in inverted commas order on their bookshelves. So obviously the missing Doctor Adventures and the past Doctor Adventures slot in between the, te- the televised Ooh, stories. In- intermingled. Intermingled, which is not something <laughs> I personally would agree with, but still. And then posted a picture of it. And it was pretty impressive. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that's, um, that's kind of impressive. And then the other thing is, is this Facebook group, which, you're, which, which, dear listener, you're perfectly willing, perfectly able to go and join yourself. Um, I'm sure they'll let you in. Um, they <laughs> seem to be obsessed by collecting not just the Target novelizations, mm-hmm. which are pretty cool. I mean, everyone knows the Target novelizations are super cool. And I have a complete collection of them myself. So, I mean, I mean, I really can't be, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of throwing stones, glass houses, like Billy Joel style right now. But anyway, um, uh, they're obsessed with collecting the hardback copies of Ooh. the Target novelizations, mm-hmm. which are really, really rare. And I think what's interesting about collecting, of course, is that, as Neil Perriman points out, you know, you always want to complete the set. And once you have completed the set, there's always one more of the set that you haven't got. So once you've mm-hmm. got all the paperback copies, then you start collecting all the hardback copies. Mm-hmm. My job, part of my job is about collecting uh, my right. day job. So, you know, I'm, this is something I do for a living. So that's fine by me. But it's, <laughs> it's just, um, and it, for a while, of course, Doctor Who was quite an unusual uh, collecting challenge right challenge the right word 
collecting thing mm-hmm. because it was finite and you could actually yes. collect all of it because you could get it all we you could catch them all like the pokemons <laughs> because we kind of knew it wasn't coming back and if it wasn't right. coming back then that was kind of it mm-hmm. and i think that was kind of interesting for a while yeah. Um, I mean, do you do do you have do, what what elements of who do you collect, David, if any? Before I go into that, I want yeah. to kind of dive into the target novel collecting because okay, I mean you you pick these up as a kid, yep. you know, saving your hard worn coins and W H Smiths, W H Smiths in Farnham, and uh, then also the Farnham Bookshop as well. Sorry, I'm keeping no, that's so, interrupting. That's what, where I used to buy them. Oh, okay, W A W H or W A. So there's a, uh, a, a, a still very, very extant kind of newsagent, I uh, don't really mm-hmm. have those, kind of bookstore and kind of newspaper stand uh, music uh, media chain in Britain called W.H. Smiths. Ah, okay. Um, and every town will have a W.H. Smiths, and that's where you're going to get your newspaper and your copy of Doctor Who magazine and your, mm-hmm. um, uh, your bar of chocolate and wrapping paper and pencils and maybe a video or a DVD nowadays, etc., etc. W.H. Smiths. Um, there was also uh, the other great place for getting Doctor Who books was the Farnham Bookshop in Farnham. Um, also, the Fleet Bookshop in Fleet. Uh, that's when there still were bookshops. Of course, right. there aren't really bookshops anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, thank, you, not, <laughs> thank you, Amazon. Thank you, Amazon. You know, when bookshops, you know, in the seventies were kind of independent, right. uh, run by normal people, and yeah, and they would uh, they'd have Doctor Who books, and then they would come out, you know, semi regularly, mm-hmm. and they were always amazing because, of course, I think as we've talked about before on the podcast, before the age of the videotape recorder. They were the only way, literally the only way, that you could relive Doctor Who adventures. Um, and they had amazing covers by yeah. lots of great artists, namely Chris Archelios was the first artist for the covers of the Target novelizations. And those um, images are very, very evocative and uh, very, very strong images. They had illustrations within the text as well. And some of them had altered text as well, which was kind of interesting. I mean, a lot of my memories of... Uh, Doctor Who, uh, as was on the TV, was, has really been shaped by reading the books. And then when I finally got to see those shows, it was like, oh, hang on, where's that bit? Um, and that bit was only the novelization. All right. So do you remember the first uh, Doctor Who Target novel that you purchased or was given? Oh, good question. Wow. You must have been like uh, eight or nine. Eight or nine, yes. Um, gosh, I think it was definitely a Pertwee. Okay. And I think it was either The Cave Monsters, uh, uh, which is one. the novelization of Doctor Who and the Silurians, or The Doomsday Weapon. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, Mutants, right? Or Colony, uh, colony, colony in Space. space. Yep. So they also gave them better titles. <laughs> yes. Which was good. So it's Doctor Who and the Doomsday Weapon. It was, of course, Doctor Who and the, and the Colony in Space. Colony in Space sounds really, really boring, which yes. is kind of a, actually a pretty accurate description of the show itself. <laughs> uh, Doomsday Weapon sounds That's really, exciting. Sounds yes. awesome. Wow, it's a Doomsday Weapon. That's fantastic. So, yeah, so they, they, they gave them different titles. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Doctor, uh, Doctor Who colon Robot was um, retitled Doctor Who and the Giant Robot. Which is an infinitely better title for that yeah, serial. Yeah, it's, it's a giant. Well, you know, what's, what's better than a single robot? Well, a giant, a giant robot is better. <laughs> um, and again, you know, Cave Monsters is probably better than Silurians because mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I actually went through a whole phase of like drawing my own 
uh, novelization covers for Whoa. stories that had not really <laughs> been novelized yet Ooh. and giving them my own better titles. Um, the only one I can actually remember right now, and I'm sure I don't have the drawing anymore, um, was I retitled, because uh, even then I was kind of a nerd about Doctor Who, <laughs> um, I retitled uh, Doctor Who and the Talons of Wang Chiang as Doctor Who and the Zygma Experiment. Ooh. Which, of course, is what... <laughs> The Which what? is the fallout from it. Is. Exactly, exactly. The whole thing is the fallout from the Zygma experiment, which mm-hmm. was, of course, what, um, uh, what Magnus Greel, um, the eponymous uh, Wang Chiang, was up to. So, mm-hmm. of course, you know, yeah. I'm not sure it is a better title, but it was a, I felt it was a more <laughs> accurate title. That's good. Yeah, and then you started, good. and then what, uh, they were like 95p or how, when, how, what was the price? When oh, God, they were, like, they were like 25p or something. Oh, they were okay. Like, they were like two shillings and sixpence or something. <laughs> so they um, were definitely affordable for a young lad. <laughs> uh, we got less pocket money in those days. So they were, they were affordable-ish. I mean, you had to save up for them. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they published them. You know, those Target, I mean, they were under various guises. They started out, I think the first one was published under Armada Books. And then they were famously Target books during the 70s, and then right. they became Wyndham books, um, and then they got bought, bought out by Virgin, and then Virgin republished them all the way through the kind of late 80s into the 90s. And there were famously some that haven't been novelized, all the Douglas Adams ones, Douglas Adams ones weren't novelized. Mm-hmm. And anyway, anyway, um, I mean, I pretty much finished collecting them by the, by the late 80s. So with the Gareth Roberts shot and the, is it James Goss, who did uh, City of Death? Yeah. Did you buy them to slot into your Target novels, or since they aren't Target officially? Uh, no. I mean, a couple of things. One, all my novelizations are in a box at my sister's house, mm-hmm. um, roughly 3,000 miles away. So <laughs> there's kind of less impetus to think about them at the moment. Right. Um, and then also, they're, they're published them, they're, right now they're published them in large format hardback. Right. I will only buy them in in a, a traditional small format paperback. So, so the spines wouldn't line up as. <laughs> it would look silly. Is what yes. it would look like. It would look absolutely because I mean these are these are proper you know proper paperback size paperbacks. Mm-hmm. I mean not like the big you know kind of big books that books apparently have to be nowadays, but like actually proper sized ones. Now since these are pulp pulp paperback, have you done anything to? encourage their longevity uh, acid-free boxes acid-free bags anything like that uh, no they're all in cardboard boxes as i said in my system well actually in my brother-in-law's storage unit uh-huh. um so they're probably completely wrecked by now i know last <laughs> time we went to the storage unit all our um all our seat cushions had been eaten by moths oh dear so um i don't think moths eat books but i uh, silverfish, silverfish probably do um, so well, yeah, that, I mean they're they're probably utterly destroyed at this point, but who knows? I wonder if that would be a Toby Haydock uh, sequel to Moss Ate My Doctor Who Scarf, Moss Ate My Target Book Collection. Uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> Moss Ate My, my Target Book Collection. Um, I think they're probably okay. I mean, it's pretty dry yeah, in there. Yeah. I mean, the moths are kind of a nightmare, but um, mm-hmm. I think the books the books will be fine. But still, I literally haven't seen them for about fifteen years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm hoping. I don't know. I mean, no. I mean, I, I know they've become a lot more valuable, so that's a plus. They've yeah, they've become 
a true collector's item in that I think people who weren't collecting them as a children are now collecting them. It's uh, it's spilled over into uh, mainstream mainstream collecting Doctor Who collecting. Yeah, and I think you know obviously this is a coefficient of a couple of things. I think one of which is the internet, mm-hmm. which allows one to accumulate and collect with far more efficiency than one ever could do in the past, mm-hmm. which of course drives prices up because of course with any kind of collected object there's always a finite amount of them. Right. I mean there are literally there are only a certain number of Doctor Who and the Doomsday Weapons, and when all of those have been, have, when all of those have gone into a collection or been destroyed, then they're they're not making them, they're not make, make, mm-hmm. making any more of them. And I think the other thing is the explosion of Doctor Who in general, right? And the idea that you certainly with these with the Target books, you can actually collect them all. So it is mm-hmm. a collection that it's possible to do. And now the BBC, uh, BBC Reissuing Books has them. reissued them, and I guess I don't know if those would count. Certainly not in the purest collections of Doctor Who Target novels. Uh, so the BBC have actually reissued a whole set of the original Target novelizations uh, in various guises. But the exciting thing for us collectors, even though I'm, I'm not going to be collecting these because, you know, I've got to draw the line somewhere, <laughs> is that in the mid-80s, mainly I think to do with John Nathan Turner, Target books at that time made what I considered to be a huge error and they stopped uh, commissioning painted covers for the novelizations and started using photo covers. So um, basically all all the books that were published in the 80s, all the Davison books... um, You can blame Peter Davison's agent for that because he did not like the artwork, the open plain face (laughs) paintings of uh, Peter (laughs) Davison. And I think, think, you know, if you ask any comic book artist or even regular artist, Peter Davison is really, really, especially young Peter Davison, is really, really hard to draw. So I'm not... I'm not actually, um, I, I, I don't blame them. But anyway, so the BBC reissued McCoy, Davison and Colin Baker novelizations with new illustrated covers. And they've gone back to Chris Arkelios, who is this the kind of doyen of Target book cover mm-hmm. illustrators, who has produced some new designs to illustrate these older these old, older novelizations, which is a great idea and, and makes, you know, it's a nice little kind of collector thing. Mm-hmm. It's not of huge interest to me right now. Though right. I, I, may, I, might, I might change my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, what I would like is for them to, is to do Sharda, City of Death, etc., in the proper, you know, right. three by six inch format of, a, of kind of an old style paperback. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're going to do that. Well, they are doing that with some of the new new who stories i believe uh moffat's having uh, penguin is coming up with one moffat has one probably i I think it's day of the doctor but maybe it's heaven sent that he's doing in the line you're right you're right i mean i'm I'm interested to see how they can expand those you know 45 minute stories into a full novelization (laughs) or in a quadfold uh, pamphlet, <laughs> or, or into or into longer than a single sheet of paper. The doctor <laughs> hits a wall for a couple of billion years, and he hits it again. Um, <laughs> so, so, so yeah. I mean, for me, again, mm-hmm. because this is collecting activity, I will really only be interested in, the, in those novelizations if a they are in a proper old-fashioned standardized paperback format, right. and if they have a fully painted cover. Otherwise, I think, I'm, not, I'm not that bothered. I think they are doing covers in the style, and they may have even gotten Chris Achilleos on board. I don't Ooh. know. There was very, very sparse details in that Penguin announcement. I mean, I mean, Chris is, you know, he's a he. He knows, he knows, he knows why people like him, mm-hmm. but he is actually a quite a 
celebrated and famous illustrators who he doesn't really have to right. do target novelizations anymore so <laughs> he'll probably be charging a good a good price for them well um, i think penguin can afford it uh, Pam can afford it, but they're, they are publishers, so the, so, yes. so they are notoriously tight. Mm-hmm. So um, how their accountants will be doing the calculations, see it's worth hiring Chris or not, I don't know. Well, my introduction to Target novels was a little bit different being in the United States. So during the late 70s or early 80s, I think it was probably early 1980s, uh, Pinnacle Books. Yes. Published 10 Doctor Who novels from the Target Books. And those were at my public library. And that was coinciding uh, roughly at the time when I was just getting into watching Doctor Who every weekday evening at 5.30. And so I just devoured those books. And they were heavily into... They were a collection of the the monster books, or the the from the Philip Philip Hinchcliffe, Hinchcliffe era. So you have right. you have Genesis, you have Revenge of the Cybermen, uh, Doctor Who and the Loch Ness Monster <laughs> for Terror of the Zygons, and then you had at the very beginning you had three earlier Pertwee stories, and the very first one. The Day of the Daleks, they had the unit spaceship. The on famous the cover. unit spacecraft, yes. Yep. Which, uh, to this day, <laughs> I remember reading and just going, where is this spacecraft? Where is this unit spacecraft? <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah. And, I, it's, uh, so with, 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 were these hardbacks in the library or were they paperbacks? No, they were, they were they're, uh, I think they're a uh, quarter of an inch taller than target, true Target novels, okay. but they're paperbacks. And they had an introduction, I think, by Harlan Ellison. Harlan which, Ellison did the intro, yeah. Which yep, was yep. always the same. So those were my uh, introduction to Doctor And the covers were really pretty demented in general, but the unit the unit spacecraft was the most demented of them all. Yeah, I mean, the Daleks were very tall and conical. Uh, they worked, but they weren't, they weren't Chris Achilles-style art. And yeah. then once those caught on, probably more towards the middle part of the 1980s, B. Dalton's, which was a shopping mall oh. bookstore chain before they went out of business, um, they started importing uh, Target novels. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And so I was able to start picking up them, and I have really a distinct memory of reading Planet of Spiders on a camping trip. So I didn't really do a lot of Doctor Who book collecting, but over the years I've managed to acquire two dozen, three dozen Target novels. You know, they were they were crazy cheap in the 90s, early 90s. Yeah, they when were. After, after Doctor Who was canceled, so I picked up a lot then for you know a nickel or fifty cents at most. So, yeah, yeah. but now the rare ones like the Wheel in Space, I'm Fury from the Deep. They're you know they're hundreds of pounds easily. Uh, they can be. They can be. I mean for 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 a mint one or for a hardback yes. copy. Yeah. 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 Easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you embark on collecting or even just reading the Virgin Missing Adventures or New Adventures at all? I never could get into the Virgin New Adventures because to me they the 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 fandom that it was writing for them had shifted Doctor Who into uh, late adolescence, young adult sensibilities or interest, and they didn't feel like Doctor Who to me. And the stories were too broad and deep. Perhaps. The, well, the stories for the were small screen. The stories Sorry, were. The, a, was that, 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 that was that was the blurb on the back. 
Yeah. The stories are a little too adult orientated for my taste in Doctor Who at the, well, even now. (laughs) So I just never, (laughs) never could get into them. They were, they they were shagging and stuff. Yeah. They were proto Torchwood rather than descendants of Doctor Who. Yeah, no, that's true. And they, and they, they did some silly things with the characters and they messed Mm -hmm. around with Ace endlessly, which got very, very tedious, extremely quickly. Well, of course they were the new adventures. So it was McCoy and Ace for for the longest time. The longest time. But I mean, they did, I mean, they did give us Benny, uh, Benny Summerfield, who I think, you know, has become a, actually kind of a, you know, a really good character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And for fans of kind of British popular culture in general, uh, you know, the Daleks obviously wandering out, you've got Absalom, Dark, I believe the, the name is pronounced, um, popped into one of the books. There was one of them which was, was originally going to have Judge Dredd in it, um, but then they couldn't get the rights for it, so they quickly mm-hmm. changed it to another future uh, policeman of some kind. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a fun read. Um, the covers, again, of The Virgin, I mean, I have a complete run of the new adventures up until number 50, I think, and then I kind of fell off, and I have... Was that before or after Lung Barrel? Uh, that's before Lung Barrow. And I actually have Lung Barrow. And I mean, I have the, the the kind of three or four very, very, the final ones, which mm-hmm. again, command many, many dollars if you want to buy those. And those are in pretty mint condition, actually. So I hope those haven't been, haven't been eaten by moths. <laughs> but again, I mean, the, the, the colors varied greatly in 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 the Virgin Rage, in their yeah. desirability. Um, Peter Elson did some. Um, I think Angus Mickey did. did am I? Anyway, so some of them were good and some of them were bad. So I, right. I kind of, some of them I bought and some of them I didn't. I actually ended up, they again, when you could pick them up for kind of 10, 20p each when they were all kind of remaindered, that's right. when I bought the rest of them. Um, mm-hmm. The Missing Adventures had covers by Alistair Pearson, mm-hmm. um, yep. who even though he's kind of a raving lunatic... Um, uh, he could he could illustrate who very very, very well. <laughs> he, he can illustrate he can illustrate who very 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 well. And he was the person who Virgin commissioned at the same time to re to illustrate produce new new illustrations for their reissues of all the classic right. uh, Target novelizations, mm-hmm. which I don't have because mm-hmm. I mean I've got to, again I've got to draw the line somewhere. Right. But some of those illustrations are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I guess after the buying habit or the the trip to the bookstore was ingrained in the Doctor Who fan, Doctor Who Weekly came out. It did, it did. And when was that? Was that that was seventy nine, wasn't it? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I think it was seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. I can remember. I I I think I was ill. Um, I was off school. I think my mum got me the first issue at the mm-hmm. newsagents. Webb's the newsagent. <laughs> yeah, in. Um, in in Harley Whitney, which is mm-hmm. which is where our nearest um our nearest uh, newsagent was, mm-hmm. uh, so I've got an almost complete run of Doctor Who magazine. Um, well, Doctor Who Weekly, Doctor Who Monthly, and now Doctor Who magazine. Right. Um, I think I'm only missing a few of those, and again, the majority of those are again in my 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 brother-in-law storage unit. Right. So, um, I can't really consult them as much as I'd like to. Now, was that your uh, introduction to Doctor Who comics? Was that, or did you had you seen those in like the other uh, newspapers? Well, no, or... a, a good, very good, <laughs> very very good. It's not really a good question. Um, uh, <laughs> it's an excellent question. It's an excellent it's question. It's better than good. <laughs> it's better. It's an ec- excellent question. Um, excellent question, David. Um, Thank I'd you. actually. <laughs> I first start, I, <laughs> I'm just thinking of people listening to this and you're like, my God, is he asking that? Uh, I don't um, know. I'm, I'm glad you asked me that, David, Thank because you. I'm now going to tell you that I first came across Doctor Who comics in the pages of TV Action, which okay. was 
a an awesome comic uh, anthology and comic books in Britain very different from comic books in America thank goodness they're better obviously <laughs> in every way um, but comic books in Britain have always tended to be anthology titles and by anthology titles I mean um, they have a, a between three and five page stories and between four and six stories in each book. Mm -hmm. So instead of buying, you know, like a Spider-Man comic book and it's like all about Spider-Man and then you buy the one right. next week and it's still about Spider-Man, the comic book you buy has an anthology title and within it there are lots mm -hmm. of different stories that are going on and some of them are no good and some of them, and some of them are good. And actually I find it a far more enjoyable way to, to read comics. It means you have a lot mm -hmm. more cliffhangers, which is again, um, in some ways I think that's where you know it's where the cliffhanger comes comes from in Doctor Who but anyway so TV action I may sound like I know a lot about British comics of the 70s but I don't really um, <laughs> you were just uh, a kid I was I was just a kid um, TV action was was you know the comics would amalgamate and change all the time right um, the, the, the different titles would come together and become one title and they would break apart again TV action was I think a, a result I think of TV 21 which was basically a, a Jerry Anderson comic book amalgamating with another one. But anyway, but it had primarily, I think, BBC shows in it. So there was a Dad's Army strip and there was a, well, I guess The Persuaders was ITV. But anyway, but that had Pertwee, Pertwee Who in it. Mm, okay. um, illustrated by, I think, one of the greatest of all Doctor Who um, illustrators, which was Jerry Haylock. Okay. Who, um, I think I've said on several occasions made John Pertwee look more like John Pertwee than John Pertwee did. Mm -hmm. uh, Jerry Haylock's absolutely amazing. Um, so I read. I, that's when I first started reading mm -hmm. uh, Doctor Who comics. Now, is he the illustrator for the Weetabix cards, or is that a different illustrator? Oh no, that's Gordon Archer. Um, okay, and that was another thing you collected too. Right? Oh yeah, well, uh, I still have a full collection of Weetabix cards, um, both series one, which was like a. Um, which are kind of cut out Doctor Who monsters and then you could arrange them on a stage set and like do Doctor Who plays um, which I didn't do obviously because that would have that would have been weird but anyway <laughs> I collected them and then also the kind of stage sets they went on and then the Weetabix series 2 was board games okay. and I have all the original uh, so the back of the cereal um, Weetabix is a kind of delicious cereal which I can heartily recommend it's absolutely fabulous uh, you can buy it you can buy it in Minnesota now you couldn't buy it in Minnesota for mm -hmm. years and that really upset me um, it's quite common here in the northwest um, but the back of the cereal box was like a, a game board and then you slotted these cards into the game board so the game was different every time you played mm -hmm. it um, and they're, they're both they're all illustrated by this man called John Archer um, who uh, again I think is, is an it, absolute genius is it Gordon Archer? Gordon Archer beg your pardon his yeah. name is Gordon Archer yeah. not John Archer yeah, yeah, yeah. his name is Gordon yeah, yeah. And he's basically a retired illustrator now yes. but he has Yellow Planet Co. UK where he uh, it's his son who runs that I think yeah, his, yeah 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 and you can buy mugs and uh, reprints of the Weetabix stuff. And the artwork is pretty amazing. Yes. It is good Doctor Who art of the early, mid-70s. Really good Doctor Who art. I mean, very of its time. It's very 70s. Mm -hmm. It's very highly colored. Yeah. Uh, but very, very accurate. I mm -hmm. mean, there's no, there's no unit spaceships here. I mean, Gordon <laughs> Archer really knew what the hell he was doing when he was doing this. So, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why, to this day, Weetabix is still my, is still my favorite breakfast cereal. Mm -hmm. um, not only is it delicious, but it supported Doctor Who. And so um, I have a lot of affection for mm -hmm. it, basically. After they finished doing Doctor Who, they did Star Trek for a while, and I had some Star Trek cards. That's when Star Trek, Star Trek the motion picture. So, again, Gordon Archer illustrated those. Mm -hmm. And then they moved on to a kind of Nazi skinhead 
advertising campaign um, okay. during the 80s, which was less successful. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> Look them up. Look them up uh, skinheads on, uh, really weren't into the breakfast cereals. Well, no, the, you, should, you, should, you, should totally, you should totally look them up, look them up on YouTube, actually. It was like a series of cartoon Weetabixes, but they were all dressed in like red braces and kind of rolled up jeans with kind of bother boots on. Okay. Um, and they used to go around like threatening other breakfast cereals. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, it's excellent. Very, very good. Only, only in Britain, only in the 1980s. Um, so, can seriously recommend those. I still have a complete set, a set of both of those cards, mm-hmm. and I, they will be prized from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> are they um, in the storage bin or storage uh, locker? No, 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 no. They're, because because they are small bits of card, mm-hmm. um, they were able to accompany me to America, ah. and they will probably be buried with me, with me in my coffin. <laughs> coffin liner. <laughs> yep, definitely coffin liner material. Definitely coffin liner material. Yeah, that'd be something for the future future archaeologists to. <laughs> yeah, when they dig me up, like what the, what the hell are those little bits of card doing in there? It's the Weetabix. They for a while they went for quite a lot of money, but mm-hmm. I think actually what happened with the Weetabix cards is that people suddenly realised that they had them kicking around, and they're actually a lot more easy to collect nowadays. For a time in the early 2000s, they were very, very valuable things indeed. Right. Um, but I think the market's kind of softened for those. So mm-hmm. I think there's just more coming onto the market. And, you know, good for him. I mean, I think Gordon Archer and Gordon Archer's son have done a lot to promote them. Yes. Because they are, they are great illustrations. They are fabulous. Yeah. Growing up in the United States, finding any kind of Doctor Who merchandise was nigh impossible. There was just... You had Doctor Who. Um, you had the Doctor Who magazine. There was a Pinnacle and Target novels, and then there was a facet role playing game, which I got but never really got into playing. Right. But in the UK, I would imagine that there was board games, puzzles, that type. Well, of... there was, but not not as much as you would think, actually. Mm-hmm. Considering, I mean, part of the I think always the problem with Doctor Who is it was a BBC show, and the BBC. I think traditionally we're kind of just crap at marketing things. There's mm-hmm. certainly crap at merchandise. Um, it was very, very late in the game that Doctor Who uh, kind of you know action figures arrived right. with the with the famous Palatoy. Um, is it Palatoy? Yeah, it is Palatoy. Oh, no, no, I had pa- pa- Palatoy was the talking Dalek, which I had. Um, Dennis Fisher. That's okay. it. Dennis Fisher did the did the did the the actual Tom Baker and Leela. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I actually I didn't want those when they came out because I didn't think that they looked like no. uh, Tom Baker, and of course they didn't. So mm-hmm. that's what. And the Dalek didn't look like a Dalek, and the Cybermen famously had a nose on it, etc., etc., etc. I mean, those are again quite collectible nowadays and kind of worth a lot of money. But that's those ones. I did not own them when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, there were yeah, there were jigsaw puzzles, there were transfers. Something I would love to be able to get a complete collection of is there were candy wrappers, uh, chocolate bar wrappers, uh, master plan, especially the ones telling the story of the master plan, master plan Q, which was of course the master's plan. Right. The clue is in the name, his master plan. Uh, but it was number Q of the plans that he'd come up with, and it was just this kind of insane story that was told on the back of. Uh, of, of chocolate bars mm-hmm. um, and then of course we've talked about this before the famous Dalek death ray um, oh, and the walls lollies exactly which always had 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 a little Dalek fact on the back of them and there were annuals you get the, the, the Doctor Who annuals which mm-hmm. are actually I didn't like them at the time but I've kind of grown to be kind of really excited by them they're a, they're a kind of alternative universe of Doctor Who right um, and then the, <laughs> the Dalek 
It's, it's the alternative Doctor Who uh, universe where we're not going to pay any license fees for anything other than the Doctor and maybe the TARDIS. Yes, and the only thing we really, <laughs> only thing we're allowed to work with are the kind of you know officially released publicity photographs, right? Which have like you know Tom Baker just wearing a jumper, <laughs> um, so the Doctor just wears a jumper all the way through, and and also the Dalek annuals, which right. were which were which were very very good. I always used to enjoy those. And I still have a full I still have a full set of the Dalek annuals. Now you're a couple years older than I am. Did any of the 1960s Dalek mania toys or anything survive into the? 70s when you were playing or had that pretty nah. much all dried no, up? Those are, no, those that, that had all dried up in the kind of 64, 65, I think. Though, I mean, I had my, uh, a good friend of mine who I used to work with, who I know is not listening to this podcast. Hello, Claire, even if you are. Uh, she had one of the famous um, Dalek play suits. Oh, really? Uh, I think one of the ones that were extremely rare because the factory burned down. Right. And she said she, she remembers playing with that when she was a kid. Uh-huh. She's only a couple. She can't be hugely older than me, Claire. But anyway. So was that pretty much collecting? I mean, were you consciously collecting other than Target novels when you were growing up? or Not really. I mean, I, I, again, I mean, you know, uh, I think when you're a kid and then when you end up being, a, you know, an arrested development adult of some kind, <laughs> which is what I am, you know, I mean, you just get, you want to get all the things that mm-hmm. there are of a particular right. thing. So, of course, you know, the Weetabix, the Weetabix cards, you just, you know, I wanted to get all of them because they were just amazing pieces of artwork. Right. Certainly, it's a great thing about the second series of work we did with cards. So they all kind of fitted together, and if you were, and they didn't tell you that you had to kind of work work that out for yourself. And actually, they form like an incredible. They form a, like single a single panel freeze, which is really kind of amazing. That's kind of but cool. again, you know, at the same time, I was you know, I was collecting the the Star Star Wars cards, yeah. you know, the blue series and the red series right. and the green yep. series, the Star Wars cards. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's it's just what kids do basically. Yeah. It's one of the way that they get us to spend our money. Yeah, I certainly collected Star Wars cards and. They certainly printed a lot in the 1970s of Star Wars cars, but I often wonder if the complete sets that are in mint condition that people see on eBay are not just uh, very good imitation knockoffs. I, I have my doubts on how many things survived in mint condition from the yeah. 70s. I mean, I, I mean, I, I had a complete set of the certainly the blue series of Star Wars cars. Right, the first one, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then again, there was kind of randomly rare ones. I remember there was particular particular ones that you know, it was very very hard to get hold mm-hmm. of. Um, things that yeah. were often misprinted. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But in general, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of Doctor Who merchandise around until, of course, we get to nowadays. Right. Um, well, I guess I, well, I mean, the, the, other the, thing... the '90s. Did you do anything with the Daypole? Action no, no, those Daypole ones were, were again crap. Cra- I mean, they just they just weren't very good. I mean, Daypole. Was a I think they were a model they were a model railway um, company hmm. and I think their director the the husband and wife team who ran them just kind of saw an opening there and kind of went for it right. but you know the two armed Davros and the eight sided <laughs> console just not attention to detail that true fans and collectors would want yeah and I was you know I was in my late teens early twenties at that point there's no way I was going to get myself a Mel figure um, <laughs> especially one with kind of loose wobbly arms that the Mel figure has um so i didn't get those but of course i mean at that point the the videos started coming yes out. absolutely the vhs That's... videos and that was all that was a that was a challenge because they were really really expensive mm-hmm. those are the two collections if we start with the vhs videotapes and then with the dvds those are the ones i think i've really uh, focused in on collecting getting yeah and um 
I guess for VHS tapes, it wasn't until the reboot of the... C- I had sort of lost interest by 2000 in the VHS. Um, the last VHS I bought was Terror of the Zygons, and that was one of the very late releases. But they had done the end of the universe collection with kind of yep. the 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 lesser lesser known or less popular Doctor Who stories. And I just I just couldn't be bothered. I just wasn't wasn't interested in doing it. And the and at the time, which was what the late '90s, early 2000s, the show just really seemed finite, obscure. Even searching on the internet um, at the time, there was a Nitro Nine site out of uh, a, um, a university in Iowa uh, that was pretty much fan central, um, and there wasn't much to do other than maybe watch Doctor Who, get the magazine and collect the videotapes and i think fandom was starting to wane even the novels were slowing down and this was before big finish kicked off yeah i can i can remember big finish was 2002 i think and i remember deliberately um uh was i kind of forcing myself i was slightly forcing myself to kind of buy those so i thought would well, at least someone's doing something right you know and if, and if people don't buy these then they're going to go out of business mm-hmm. so i should probably buy them and um uh, support them it did seem kind of like, hmm, at the time. But then, of course, you know, I mean, now Big Finish is this kind of world's oh, striding mm-hmm. media juggernaut. Yeah. Um, that no one, with so, which you can't even keep up with. <laughs> no, you can't keep up with. I mean, that is, you know, a good example of, a, you know, if you're, if you're trying to collect all the Big Finishes, good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, if, you, if you're trying to listen to them all, there, good there luck. There you go. That's the problem. If, collecting, yeah, that's them the problem. Is, collecting is just a money thing. Uh, listening yeah. and finding time to listen to them and absorb them, that, that's where it becomes yeah. uh, difficult. I mean, I did have an almost complete collection of the VHS videotapes, mm-hmm. mainly acquired via, um, I bought very few of them new. I think pretty much, I'm trying to think. Uh, I know I bought um, The Frontier in Space, mm-hmm. um, which as a target novel was retitled as Doctor Who and the Space War, <laughs> which is, again, so much better than um, the Frontier, Frontier in Space. Space yes. It's a really dull, mm-hmm. dull title. Anyway, um, I, I bought a few of them new, but I mean, I, I really didn't have the money to buy them all new. So I bought most of those secondhand, a lot of them in Notting Hill mm-hmm. at a Record Tape and Video Exchange, which I hope is still much going in Notting Hill in, um, in West London. And of course, they, they all became redundant um, mm-hmm. when they switched, to, switched to, 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 to DVD. So actually, I junked all those because they took up a lot of space, right. but I did keep the covers. Right. Oh, um, oh because you kept the art. I kept the artwork because the artwork is kind of what's fun about them. So I have pretty much a complete collection of VHS artwork. Ooh, that'd be that'd be interesting. Is that worth anything? I don't know. I don't know, anyway. but that would be a very interesting, uh, you know, selected ones framed or put up in a yeah, no, would gallery. Be. That would be a, exactly. That'd be a nice nice thing for a viewing Doctor Who viewing room. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Of course, I mean, you know, if you are a true collector, you can actually collect the original artworks mm-hmm. for those for those uh, uh vhs the, covers with those for those who have the income for those who have the income <laughs> i have a small collection of original doctor who comic book art mm-hmm. um uh, mainly well obviously primarily from doctor who magazine right. um have, have, which again you can still you can pick pick that up for you know reasonably reasonably reasonable mm-hmm. prices especially if you go directly to the artists themselves rather than via dealers and of course nowadays with Facebook and social media it's actually quite easy to actually find the artist True. and say you know do you have a pile of old pages you can sell me and they go yeah okay that'll be 20 quid each and you go great I'll have I'll have 20 of those um, 
though, anyway. Yeah. yeah. So collecting changed a bit when we could actually buy the episodes, I think. They when did. We could actually buy the story. The focus for me became less on collecting like uh, books like L'Officier guides. And um, yeah. it, it became, well, I don't need to read <laughs> what somebody says about these stories. I'll just watch it. I'll just watch it or try to watch it if it existed. And so the focus in the 90s for me for collecting became replacing my off-the-air recordings off public television of Doctor Who with uh, commercial, better quality um, VHS tapes. Exactly. And I think certainly when, we, when they switch to DVDs, mm-hmm. which are you know, easier to store, um, I think there are problems with the longevity of mm-hmm. DVDs, but yep. certainly not a similar kind of problem as there, was, there were with VHS um, <laughs> recordings. Mm-hmm. You know, you've really got a way to connect with the show kind of directly. And I think, as I've said before on this podcast, you know, we are so incredibly lucky as fans to have a collection of, of you know, physical media uh, presentations of our favorite show to the level that the restoration team mm, and, yes. and BBC Worldwide have worked on those releases. Mm-hmm. When you're restoring, restoring the pictures, the special features, mm-hmm. the information text, the commentaries, it really is astounding. And I think there are very, very few, obviously, you know, a lot of shows you know, get comprehensive releases. But I think even something like Star Trek hasn't had the kind of love lavished upon it that the DVD releases has had. Star Trek has had a different tack that they have taken. Since they're all on film, they were able to upscale Blu-ray, up, right. upscale on Blu-ray and updated special effects a lot of times. Really interesting. But yeah, the restoration team and the, and the range improved as it matured and got more support. And then they had a, a, a producer, mm-hmm. Dan Hall, who commissioned all of the later extras. And yeah. he really guided that level of quality. And the level of care and love and attention was really reflected in those. And so when we got the release of the two recovered stories, uh, Web of Fear and Enemy of the World, when we had no extras on it, it was kind of a letdown because part of the reason we were buying these, we had seen the stories, not in this case, but for the value-added material. And of course, there, there is a new release coming in March of uh, Enemy of the World yeah. with extras. Oh, excellent. Yeah, with a full commentary track and with, uh, you know, an interview with Phil Morris mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of stuff. And some people, again, on the Internet, as usual, because everyone likes to complain about stuff on the Internet. People have complained it's the BBC double dipping. But, you know, the point is, is they wanted to release those, right. you know, as soon as they found them. And it actually takes a couple. It takes, you know, more than five minutes to produce extras right. for this. So um, I'll certainly be buying that come come March. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, one is very much hoping that that might encourage either the person who stole the missing episode three of web of fear to give it back or maybe they'll just reanimate it and we'll have a we'll have a, a reissue of web of fear as well and i think the other thing to say about the dvd range is that you know they came up with some amazing new technology mm. um you know the mm-hmm. vidfire process which was able to restore the original look of the episodes as broadcast so returning them from because of course the older episodes were only retained on um uh, on film mm-hmm. but of course they've been broadcast on videotape right. 
so they able to return a, a video look to filmed material, mm-hmm. and then also the amazing the the kind of dot recovery, the color recovery, yeah, the chroma thing that is which is black magic, just <laughs> insane magic. They were able to recover color information from the kind of residual material left on these film recordings of videotape. Mm-hmm. Absolutely extraordinary stuff. Got relatively little application in the real world, but it is significant <laughs> for fans of Doctor Who yes. or fans of shows that were in color but were then recorded in on black and white film. Right. Yeah. So fans of those kinds of shows mm-hmm. are very happy now, and that's really only fans of Doctor Who. Through uh, hand recoloring and through chroma dot recovery and then oh, just Babel from color, colorization. Yeah, yeah Babel Color, uh, Stuart Humphrey, I believe. Yep. We have anything that was in color is... Or, it's now in color. It's now in and color. So it's, pretty damn good color of that, to uh, be honest. Really good improvement over what we had in the VHS world. Yeah, absolutely, yes. absolutely. And I think in some ways... I'm, you know, maybe we're getting a little bit off our collecting topic, but that's the point of a podcast. I think the, you know, the slow and relatively inevitable demise of physical media, mm-hmm. i.e. a way to make actual money from an object from a broadcast TV show, I think is, I think is kind of worrying me because I think, you know, as, we, as everything basically just goes to streaming right. and people are a lot more interested in, in kind of new productions to stream rather than old productions to stream i'm actually kind of glad that doctor who kind of hit that dvd sweet spot in terms of getting all that work done right because i'm pretty sure that if we were turning around right now and and asking the bbc to colorize you know the demons or uh, invasion of the dinosaurs right. they wouldn't do it yeah it would not happen it would not happen so you know, it's actually the doctor who doctor who really kind of lucked out mm-hmm. to have this explosion of dvds throughout the the 2000s and early 2010 right. shepherded by by, by, by Dan Hall, and we really have you know a, a full archive of the world's greatest TV show. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you know. so that kind of well, I do anyway. That, that's kind of well, I have the complete uh, classic, classic run of. Uh, and yours, of course, you you are you're famously region one, yeah, aren't you? And a, I'm famously in, region two. Infamously, if I had to do it, <laughs> <laughs> had to do it over again, I would definitely do it in region two. Well, you never know. Maybe there'll be some, you know, massive fire sale when they finally decide to get rid of all the DVDs and you can pick them up for a couple of dollars each or something. Potentially. It would still cost you a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it would still cost you a yeah. lot of money, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, collecting changed a bit when we had the new series launch. Oh, yeah. We have uh, quality action figures. Quality action figures, which, again, I'm sadly have kind of died to death. In the past couple of years, which is a great a great source of shame to me, um, a source of sadness to me. I wonder why that was. Do you think it's just because the show is less popular now under the later it's a, I don't, auspices of Moffat? I don't know, actually. Uh, I really don't know. I mean, I think it's... I think, you know, there are several things to blame. I think one of which I think the show is actually less popular mm-hmm. than, it, than it used to be, and certainly less pop, maybe less popular with kids. Um, I think also kids don't really buy as many action figures as they used to as well. There's been a change in scale in action figures. So the, the original Doctor Who ones are lovely, kind of six-inch scale. Right. Um, but the, the the kind of industry standard, which is, I think, primarily always led by Star Wars, right. um, has shifted to, to like a four-inch scale, mm-hmm. which is, looks, looks horrible. So I, I refuse to buy those. Right. I think also, you know, like you said, kids are playing less with toys. They're doing yeah. more things with uh, iPads or video games, even even more than previous. And so uh, the need for 
objects is less. And I think action figures in general are kind of declining. And I think, you know, a, a, a product that is not American centered and doesn't have, you know, the money or the giant fandom behind it. You know, this is a country of 300 million plus people and Britain is a country of only 60 million plus people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, considerably smaller. Right. Uh, there isn't just the base. There isn't the base of buyers, which is a, which is a great shame, actually, um, because uh, the uh, the line of action figures, both from the new series, I mean, they had some real dogs, you know. I mean, faceless Granny from um, <laughs> destroyed Cassandra. <laughs> destroyed Cassandra. It's like they're just taking the piss on some of those. <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I destroyed Cassandra. Or what, it was like unpossessed Toby was another good one, which is <laughs> like the, what the forty two from or the uh, no from planet? Uh, from the Impossible Planet. So it was like. It's just the guy without stuff written on him then. <laughs> um, so there was, there, was, there was some poor choices. Their classic series action figures were, again, kind of dementedly cool. Right. You have like a full-size Fendal, you know, which is about kind of 10 inches tall. It's mm -hmm. absolutely ridiculous. Again, I think, I think those kind of glory days of the late 2000s and early 2010s mm -hmm. are behind us now, which is good because that's expensive stuff to collect. I mean, I don't, I don't have those. Yeah, they were very expensive action they figures. Were, I mean, they are, and they are dropping, dropping in price. I mean, they'll probably come to a point where, you know, I feel I have both the, the shelf space and the spare dollars uh, to pick those up. Mm -hmm. But yeah. 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 So what's uh, been your favorite thing to collect? That's a really good question. Um, you know, when I when I think about my collection, sadly, I'm separated from most of it currently. Right. The target, I'd love to get my targets out and look at those, mm -hmm. and I think those would those would bring me joy for the nostalgia. Just for the nostalgia, and the, and again, the illustrations are just so so wonderful on those. Mm -hmm. um, I think the DVDs are just as extraordinary archive, right. and that's I think again very pleasurable mm -hmm. to have that. The action figures, again, the kind of full-size, you know, kind of six to eight-inch figures are just a th are things of beauty mm -hmm. and, uh, again, give me a huge amount of pleasure. And then some of the original artwork that I have, again, mm, also, yes. also something that is, mm -hmm. that, again, very pleasurable. Mm -hmm. The things I've, I've liked, I have the Harlequin uh, role-playing miniatures. I really like those. Oh, you have those. Excellent. I have a, a good collection of them. Not are they painted? Are they no, painted or unpainted? I, I, I lack such artistic talents. But the older oh, ones okay. have a lovely patina to them. Gorgeous. So they've, they've uh, aged well. <laughs> and Excellent. There are certain books that I've really liked. I've, I've loved the Doctor Who collected scripts from uh, season 12. That's one of the books that was a one-off. I think it was for a start of a range, but never caught on. Yeah. Yeah, and very good. I have that. Mm -hmm. Those along with the DVDs are... I was going to say, I mean, do, do you count the DVDs as a collection? I think or? you have to because I think that's the core, uh, the quote that I began with from Neil Perryman. I mean, it's pretty true. I have bought DVDs for stories in the classic range that I cannot stand at all just to have a complete collection. <laughs> Hello, Time Lash. Right, yeah. I did not buy... The Chase, which has the Beatles excised from them, the U.S. version. I'm right. still debating if I should import that from the U.K. or not. Um, right, I right. have a version of it on VHS. So, I I mean, I still have <laughs> a still functioning VHS system. So. Oh, right. I didn't know so that. I, yeah. I, I did hang on to all my VHS tapes because you never know. You never know. 
they're re-releasing a lot of those old kind of interviews, all those kind of real-time interviews yeah. um, on, on, in kind of omnibus DVD editions now. Very, very tempted by those, actually. To very be tempted by those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very tempted by those. I've not actually take, taken the plunge, mm-hmm. but that is definitely tempting. Well, I think Nick Briggs got one of the only interviews, recorded interviews with Ian Martyr, on, and yes. that's on the Tom Baker years uh, yes, yes. release. And so that that alone for me, I would like to watch that again. I remember yeah. watching that. I, 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 I'm, you might have had that in uh, your flat in London. I'm not sure. I remember seeing it someplace. Uh, I don't think I had that. Hmm. No. I remember uh. watching those, so. Um, oh, okay. Like the, mm. I was a Doctor Who monster. Did you have that one? Oh no, I had that one. Yeah, no, no, okay, I, I had. Okay. To, yeah, and that's 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 signed by all the monsters as well. <laughs> my, so that's I I I didn't actually junk that one because mm-hmm. it's signed by you know Sonny, what's his name, Caldez and or... you know uh, yeah exactly and Thingy the little little Dalek man. Um, uh, so yeah, that's that that's that's kind of a cool. What, what's he called? John Scott Martin. Yes, thingy, the little Dalek man. <laughs> little, little Dalek man. Uh, he is. He's a yeah, poor man. Yeah, well, that's Dalek. why he was a Dalek, because he could exactly. fit in the casing. Exactly. Um, uh, so, I mean, that's now, you know, it's, it's, it's now that's tra- transmogrified from a kind of, you know, a record mm-hmm. into, a, into a collectible. Right. So, you right. know, and, and good luck to it, mm-hmm. to be honest. But, yeah, you know, it's, 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 um, uh, I'm impressed by the fact you've got those Harlequin miniatures. I'll have to have a look at those yeah, next time I'm around yeah, your house. They're, um, yeah, yeah so, some of them are better than others, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. There, I don't know if you've read the, if you've got the new, um, uh, the 2018 Doctor Who magazine, uh, sorry, the yearbook. So it's, mm. it's the yearbook for 2017. Mm-mm. But there's an interesting article on that on a new company that's coming up with gaming miniatures. Yeah. And they talk about how, you know, the original gaming miniatures had a particular kind of this kind of stunted style, which was kind of, you know, the kind of industry standard for kind of gaming miniatures. Right. And because they're all now kind of laser scanned, they're actually producing these things at a, at a kind of a proper proportion which i think is interesting because of course the charming thing about those harlequin miniatures is they are badly proportioned mm. that's what makes them cool well the new ones are <laughs> they look they look elongated to me but i guess i'm yeah. very very used to the the they uh, do. stylized they do. that uh, basically came out of wargaming in the 1970s uh, and yeah. dungeons and dragons role playing games exactly yeah. exactly and i think it's really interesting that we're actually more used to those miniatures being this kind of odd proportion mm-hmm. um and you know again looking at the pieces in this year because like my god their the, their arms are the same proper length <laughs> weird stop it anyway right yeah so, yeah. so i wonder I and mean, i think there's hallmarks of the doctor who fan in their 40s and 50s who like ranking things like uh, collecting things i wonder i think my observation of newer fans and please please write to the podcast if you have different perspective or give us a tweet or facebook um newer fans are more more into just experiencing it and talking about it and seeing what kind of impact they have on the on the show and it's less about the material and the uh collecting and ranking and i i I blame millennials as usual i mean it's their fault (laughs) No, I don't think so. I think, I think there's a. It's, it's young people. Blah. No, I think I think there is a perhaps a generational shift away from uh, needing to own things or needing collecting yeah. and being okay with things just being available on streaming rather than 
Yeah, um, which which I think it has its. I mean, that has its. You know, there's there are some pluses to that. As I said, you know, I mean, I think if if we if Doctor Who was coming online right now and it was just streaming, I don't think we would have seen the level of care in terms of restoration that we saw in the in the nineties. It's also two thousands. It's also the disappointment of not having it always available. So growing up in the seventies and not being able to watch it whenever you want or. When you can get a copy of it, you want to hang on to it because it might go away. BBC might, might away. junk it again. <laughs> you never know. And, it, and it, 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 it might go away. I mean, you know, things are always dropping off Netflix right. for kind of rand, random reasons. Right. And, you know, obviously I'm a member of BritBox. Mm-hmm. I don't really use it to watch Doctor Who that much. I use it to watch other British things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that company could easily go away. Right. And then how would we watch Doctor Who? Right. So, I mean, I, I actually, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm a big supporter of physical media mm-hmm. because... It's the backup. We're always told we're supposed to back things up to the cloud and back things up to a disc and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, all my Doctor Who's backed up because it's on a DVD. Right. It's ar- And it's, you know, I've... I've Pre-archived. <laughs> yeah, and I've, you know, I've probably got another, you know, maximum 40 years left of life, mm-hmm. absolute maximum. Um, and I think they're going to last that long. I hope so. So I yep. think I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Collecting is certainly a, an exhaustive subject, and we've only really scratched the surface. Scratched the surface, um, yes. Is there any, anything more you want to talk about this evening, or do you want to... Um, I, th- I, think, I think that's all. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, if I was... If I was to start collecting something now that's able to be collected, well, I guess I wish I'd bought a lot more original artwork um, right. back when that was a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Alistair Pearson stuff, he, he doesn't sell any of his stuff for a start, so it's like Hensty. Um, so that's, that, that's, if I had a time machine, I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, that, but I think if I had an unlimited funds to just buy stuff, um, I probably, I would love to have a big bookcase filled with all of the big finish mm. cds um i think that would look really splendid mm-hmm. i think that would be a lovely sparkly brightly colored display from one to a million or whatever however many of those of those that they have now i think that would be a really fun thing to collect um i do, i mean i whenever i go to um you know half price books or whatever i always scan the uh, uh the kind of audiobook book section looking for for, for, for big finishes right. but they they really haven't started turning up in used uh, in a used form yet so you have to think that the people who would have them in the u.s specifically imported them or requested them expensive yeah. and are hanging on to them because yeah the, yeah the only way they'd be getting rid of them is because they're have too much stuff or getting rid of a collection yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there anything that, that that you would want to collect that you don't collect if you had unlimited funds? Unlimited. Oh, I, 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 I one, other, one other thing, I'd love to collect original costumes. I, would I would say amazing. that props and costumes. Yeah. If you had props unlimited costumes, unlimited yeah. funds, and you could um, properly curate and preserve them, that would be yeah. fantastic. I mean, there was <laughs> there, there's that spider on eBay at the moment, which you know is like I think at kind of six, seven thousand pounds or something mm-hmm. from 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 Planet of the Spiders. I very, very nearly was going to buy. They was they were selling those scraps of Ice Warrior latex, um, <laughs> and I very, very nearly bought one of those. But it was just too much money, and I thought that's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It is literally just a scrap of latex. So. Like many uh, Doctor Who fan, I'd like to get a full size replica police box for the garden. <laughs> that would be yes. always nice. Uh, and a Dalek. A Dalek, perhaps, or maybe a yeah. cyber suit, a classic uh, maybe moon-based cyber suit or invasion cyber Ooh. suit to wear on Halloween. And <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I mean, maybe, maybe we should have a cosplay episode, but I would love to get um, to thinking of um, 
the moon base. I'd love to get a moon base TARDIS spacesuit. That would mm, be just the most yeah. excellent thing to now, because I'm sure they'd be easy to make. They're probably easy to make, but from uh, recalling what Annika Will said, they fogged up <laughs> quite a fogged bit. Fogged up pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to have some kind of, yeah, some kind of heating device or, or kind air, of air, air conditioning. Device. Yeah. yeah, air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a collecting. I find with the older I get, the less collecting I want to do. I, I look at some of the Doctor Who book collection, and I'm looking at the um, Lauren Smiles tat wood that I have here, and I only have, and I don't have a complete range, and I don't have About a time, right? Yeah, I don't have a complete range of uh, Sandifer's um, books, and I, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I'm. It's kind of odd that i do have a complete range of the wife and space paperbacks for no apparent reason other than like uh, neil said i did buy the first one and uh yep. now the you gotta catch them all <laughs> basically yeah because um the colin baker one is just i just uh, signed up pre-ordered the colin baker one yeah. i mean they are very beautifully designed those um yes. and they're incredibly amusing as well so mm-hmm. i mean it's that's not you know it's not as i mean this i, I was never really able to get into the sandifer volumes because mm-hmm. he's so lacking in cheer. Um, <laughs> he's very he he's very insightful, but he has very very strong opinions, like many of us in fandom do, about what is true. good and what is crap, and why things yeah. are crap. And, very dour. And yes. being a child of the '80s rather than the '70s, he often comes down pretty harshly on the stories that I find near and dear to my heart. Yeah, and he's he's obviously wrong about that. <laughs> so that's what I felt. Yes, that's um, that's another part of Doctor Who fandom that. Uh, um, People are right, and those with the wrong opinion are wrong. <laughs> They're wrong, exactly. Not, exactly. Not no, we, really, of course, but <laughs> not really, of course, but yes. No. So yeah, it's 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 a, the fan gene is also a collector gene, mm-hmm. and I think it's I think the interplay between those I think is very interesting, and I think it'll be interesting to see how collecting develops over the next decade as we move more and more into a you know a streaming cloud-based well it's it's interesting it's interesting the fan gene because i look at the cosplayers and just in wonder and awe of what they can pull off and what they can recreate and many of the cosplayers seem to collect self-created costumes so there's a whole bit of creating and crafting and artistry Mm. in that but but the collection that they're doing is what outfits or what costumes do i have in my repertoire wardrobe right. that i can that i can reproduce or that i can pull off or that i can cosplay in so yeah, i think yeah. i think there is that collecting gene or or just the binge watcher who will sit down and watch watch them all it's at that point when you're trying to consume or trying to collect that experience or anything you are that 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 collecting gene that fan gene is very very intertwined yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. And again, you know, I mean, we've done 69 of these podcasts now. Um, <laughs> you know, that's 69 hours of, of, of listening. You know, that is, you know, three, four, five days worth of listening. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, all this stuff is interesting. And uh, proving once again that we can <laughs> talk about Dr. We, we can, endlessly. <laughs> we can talk a hind leg off a proverbial donkey about <laughs> any aspect of this show, because this is now like an hour and ten minutes, yeah. uh, it says here on my audacity. Um, so I, I think we, we will probably return to the subject of collecting again, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Um, certainly, because I think it is, it is part of what we're talking about. We are having a brand relaunch this fall with Jodie Whittaker in the Chris Chibnall yes. era, so... 
there will be at least new things to collect. <laughs> Let's hope there will be a proper size Jody action figure because um, oh, it'd be uh, th- to add to there my will be of riots doctors. if there are not uh, just just from fandom in general. But I, I, I <laughs> if you were the yeah. BBC, could you imagine the backlash? Uh, there was there was huge backlash when from Star Wars Ray wasn't issued as an action figure. Oh yeah, Heck, remember you know, that. If, yeah. if yeah. all the doctors, male doctors, had an action figure, and then the first female doctor did not have an action figure, ooh, that would not, that would not work. I fully expect a Jodie Whittaker Doctor action figure to be debuted this fall. Excellent. Well, we look forward I would, to I that. Hope, I would hope so. If they were yeah. smart, they would. They would definitely, definitely. All right, wrap well, it up. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, an enjoyable have, conversation. <laughs> very enjoyable conversation. I hope you've all enjoyed it. Um, uh, thanks for listening. If you have been, um, um, I I've been Ben and I've been David. Oh, before we go, I almost forgot. Oh, yes. Have a big post-it note here. Don't forget. Next week, we are going to be discussing the very first Eighth Doctor Big Finish audio storm warning. So if you storm have warning. not. Listen to Storm Warning. It's on the Big Finish website. It's uh, I think it's around three pounds or three dollars, depending on very what. reasonably priced. And it is um, it introduces Charlie Pollard as a, a Eighth Doctor companion. It's I used to work with her dad. It's set on an, a Zeppelin or an airship. Um, R one oh one. And so we will be discussing that, and it will be we will be it'll be spoilerific as if we were had just watched it on television or just you know. So if you want to join in, please, please either review your copy of uh, Storm Warning or download a copy from Big Finish and give it a listen. Yeah, because it's actually it's really pretty damn good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So good. more on that next week. Excellent. Okay. Well, goodbye, everybody. Yep. Bye. Doctor Who packs of Weetabix. Each one has one of these four Doctor Who action games, three of these stand-up figures, and a secret message from the Time Lords. We must capture these special packs of Weetabix and exterminate, exterminate, exterminate. Collect the special Doctor Who Weetabix packs and enjoy your daily wheat. While stocks last. Exterminate.